The Start On Demand. On demand. Immunization cards are now going to be a thing in Manitoba, so we had lots to discuss on that. Also lots to discuss on the fact that we learned during our show that Dr. Brent Rusin and Lynette Siragusa are speaking Wednesday afternoon, this afternoon, on new public health orders. So what is that going to mean in terms of loosened restrictions? We also spoke at length today about campground privatization for a new lease deal at St. Ambrose. So we speak with somebody who's not in favor of privatizing campgrounds. We speak to the province who weighs in with some reaction. And we speak with a new operator of Surfside Beach Campground in St. Ambrose. And we had lots of fun talking about clothing fails. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, June 9th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We are in a severe thunderstorm watch in Winnipeg in the southeastern corner of Manitoba. Sounds like we're getting it here now, downtown at 201 Portage. The windows are wet, and I'm hearing some thumping, which I guess is probably thunder. Uh, Mackling, what's it like out in your neck of the woods? Well, I'm the silly guy out watering his flowers in the rain, as it turned out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's raining here in North Kildona. Not a lot of wind, a little bit of lightning here and there, but I wouldn't call it a storm at this point. McNabb? Oh, we've got a storm. We've had them moving through for the last, I want to say, two hours. I have this sound machine I play with at night that either plays ocean noises or rain noises, depending on my mood. And so I woke up wondering... Is that fabricated sound or the real noise? And I had to go take a look. But yeah, no, it's raining. It's been raining pretty hard. We've had some good uh, lightning activity and thunder. And the dog so far is handling it. I was wondering how Moose was going to take his first storm. But uh, Moose hearkens from the wild. So therefore, he is fine. (laughs) Or at least his name does. (laughs) Dogs are the best during storms. They can be so brave and bark at everything that goes by. But uh, some of them are just such chickens in well, the storms. And I get it. They, they, they're, their hearing is way more sensitive. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. And he also just doesn't... I sent him outside to go to the washroom, you know, do his thing about an hour ago. And he stepped outside and I watched him and he's like looking around. He looks back at me and he comes back to the door like, lady, I ain't doing it in this. Like, just like, <laughs> so he's back inside just staring out the window. I'm like, buddy, at one point or the other, when you got to go, you're going to have to deal with this. But... We'll see. I'll keep you posted on that. Yeah, the look over the shoulder is something else. When they get a couple steps outside, it's like, really? Did you just do this to me? I thought you loved me. And the (laughs) guilt that they try to put on you is something else. Very extraordinary. So, yeah, it's it's one of those rites of passage for a a puppy, their first thunderstorm. And how they uh, handle that first one, I think, is going to be a predictor of how they handle them down the future. Because you're right, Brett. I've had some big dogs. Over the year, my my dog Wrigley in particular was such a big, softy, lovable, cuddly dog. Thought that she was a superstar when it came to squirrels, rabbits, and other animals. But boy, (laughs) did she not like thunderstorms at all. Would howl and cry and whimper and whine. So 
yeah, fortunately, the other two, uh, the dogs in our house right now are doing just fine, sleeping through it all. I used to house sit uh, for somebody to take care of their dog, this big burly German shepherd named Stormin Norman. Well, his name was Norman. I called him Stormin Norman. And he barked at everything. He was a grumpy old dog. But when there was a thunderstorm, he, <laughs> I was trying to sleep. He came into my room and he jumped up on the bed and he cut, snuggled up to me as close as he could uh, because he was a little scary yeah. cat. So it was, it was, it was cute though. It was, uh, he was a fun dog. So anyway, if you want to tell us a story about your dogs and thunderstorms, 204-780-6868. <laughs> uh, but we've also got lots to discuss this morning as it pertains, Loren, to the vaccine card, the immunization card. My first reaction yesterday, I yelled out, start the car, like the Ikea commercial, like we're going to hit the road. And <laughs> I've expressed to you guys in the past that, I, you know, I, I do have some questions and maybe even some concerns about the use of cards like these and where they would take us and all the different places that that you could potentially be required to show them. I would like to be in a world where people were choosing to be vaccinated, not choosing it because if they don't, then they won't maybe have this card or access to other things. But here we are. It's a it's a carrot. We called it yesterday. You know, they're dangling it in front of you. You could visit loved ones in homes if you have two doses and have this card. You can potentially go to provinces. Keeping in mind, right now only Alberta and Saskatchewan don't have travel restrictions. So that's but that's now on the table for people who get two doses. And I already had my second vaccine booked, but I will, I will I would be lying to say I didn't immediately email some family members out west to say, hey, this is on the table. This might be a possibility in the months ahead. What are you guys thinking? Nobody wrote me back, so I'm trying not to read into that. But I'm not even joking. I was all excited. I was like, here's some possible dates. What is everybody thinking? And one brother-in-law gave, wrote back with a thumbs up, and which is not an answer, by the way. And then my own brother, I was like radio silence. So I was like, Michael. So, but I'm excited, Greg. I mean, I listen, I didn't think we'd get there so quickly and travel for some of us is a big deal. All of my family, say one person is outside this province. Yeah, travel is a big deal for a lot of us. No question about it. Uh, Two things on that one. Have you considered the fact that silence is sort of the way of conveying the fact that uh, there's a message enjoying the break? Yeah, I really I didn't. I expected an immediate response, Greg. But yes, go ahead. Okay, and the I guess the other side is, unfortunately, I think some of us know that uh, there are people who have been doing this all along, who have been going out west, have been going to other places, and those people, unfortunately, have not been for- following the 14-day quarantine period upon their return either, and so that's part of how we've got into this mess. I I find it so ironic that some of the people who want this... Uh, pandemic to end sooner than later that detest the infringements on our freedoms that that the pandemic has forced uh, health officials and the decisions that they've had to make are the ones that uh, so freely and blatantly mm-hmm. disregard these rules so i'm i'm sort of in favor of this but i don't think it's going to change that much because the rule followers follow the rules anyway well, that- that's just it. I, like I said, I already had my vaccine appointment booked, looking to see when the dates lift for um, my husband. My kids are under 12, but I wasn't going anywhere with that mandatory self-isolation. So for me, th- this is a big deal, but I suspect you're right. And, and Brad, I don't know what you think. The people who are already abiding by those travel restrictions, th- this doesn't 
encourage them to go out and get the vaccine, they might be the ones who already have it. Yeah, I think that those who are following the rules probably are the ones who are getting vaccinated. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, Manitobans who have received both doses of a COVID-19 vaccine are about to see more freedom when it comes to travel and visiting family in care homes. Yeah, an immunization card. It's going to be made available two weeks after you receive your second dose. Once you're fully inoculated, you'll then be able to skip that 14-day self-isolation that is currently required if you travel outside of Manitoba. And out-of-province visitors to Manitoba, lots of questions about that. Right now, this just applies to people who would be leaving Manitoba. So if you're coming, relatives are coming here, they still need to isolate, even if fully vaccinated. Uh, but the Premier did say yesterday he's speaking to other provinces to see what they have to say. And of course, this doesn't override travel restrictions in places like Ontario or any sort of international travel, Greg. Yeah, and that's not all the double dose will bring. Healthcare facilities like hospitals and care homes will allow expanded visitation if both the patient and visitor are fully vaccinated. Children under 12 who cannot get a vaccination shot will also be exempt if their guardian has a vaccination card. With the vaccine passport system now in place, some Manitobans are excited about the idea or more excited about the idea than others. But as Global's Merrick Takesh explains, both sides of the argument are hoping this new card means yet another step closer to normal. Whether it's on a plane or on the highway. Fully vaccinated Manitobans cannot wait to get out of town. I think there should be value in getting the vaccine. So if you get benefits like not having to quarantine when you come back, that's great. And some others looking forward to their newfound freedoms within city limits. I have a brother in a care home so I can go visit him now. And so that's very important. We would like to see our grandkids, you know, have a wiener roast or something or have them take them down here, you know. So, yeah, let's get that little piece of paper and let's get going. But with indoor and outdoor gatherings still banned in the province, you'll have to wait a little while longer to visit with family or your neighbours. These are things that we used to take for granted. We had the right to do and we want those rights and freedoms back. Sooner we're vaccinated, sooner we get our freedoms back. But some people remaining skeptical about the vaccine, regardless of the incentives. I don't know that we are like certainly able to say that it's safe enough to be able to do so. So I'm not really in agreement with people being able to travel and having this special card. And it just seems a little bit weird to me. Premier Pallister says flashing the QR code on each vaccine passport does not count as sharing private health information. But former prosecutor Brandon Trask disagrees. If you're having to show proof of your health status in order to be admitted uh, somewhere domestically, that is having to share your, your personal private health information with a third party, which again is what the government said from the outset uh, nobody was, was supposed to do. Uh, they shouldn't be trying to introduce this divisiveness of us versus them, uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, especially at a point uh, at which uh, certain uh, aspects of society have privileges over others. Merrick Takash, Global News. So we'll have more on this coming up after Global News at 6.30, including how stuff like this is going to affect big concerts and cruise ships. In our next segment... A chance to win a Manitoba Turkey Producers Prize Package, which we will give away at 9.15. We need you to text us a story at 204-780-6868 about a clothing fail. And we will explain what that means in our next segment. But we start this half hour 
with the fact that I think many of us, many of you, probably missing large-scale events, and you're anxious to get to something like a live concert. If you're into such things, you know there is something special about seeing one of your favorite acts live on stage in the company of like-minded or musically-tasted fans. Mm, and you can hear the Foo Fighters in the background, a show that I wish I could attend, but I cannot. Uh, this from RollingStone.com, Brett Loren. The Foo Fighters will reopen Madison Square Garden in New York City on June 20th when they play the first arena show there in over a year. The concert will be the first full-capacity MSG show of the year and the first since March 2020. The venue has been open for sporting events in recent months. The show will also mark the Foo Fighters' first live show in more than 460 days. Exciting news for many, but Loren, here's the part which will have even more of us talking. Yeah, so one thing that just stood out for me already, you said full capacity, right? Did I hear that right? A full capacity capacity. show? So that's, wow, here we are. And according to Madison Square Garden's fact page, those who want to go to this show, they have to prove they are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. There is, of course, an exception for kids under the age of 16. But in this case, they have to actually provide proof of a recent negative COVID test. And so this is where we are. We're not just talking about travel with vaccination, but maybe concerts, at least in the States there. Here in Winnipeg, you've been hearing some clips from lawyer Tracy Epp with Plato Law. She has no doubt that some aspects of a vaccination passport will end up in court here in Canada. And, you know, a government stopped me from going to a concert simply because I've chosen, you know, if, 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 you know, if it applied to me, if I have chosen not to be vaccinated. And somebody may challenge the legislation that way. I have no doubt that's going to be happening. There's going to be people who say, I don't want this. You can't force this on me. Or people who might medically not be able to do that. I'm not sure if there's another category for that one or not. Epp says the law, should it come to fruition, could end up facing opposition from those supporting someone's right to mobility between provinces, maybe someone returning to Canada who's forced to self-isolate. And then there's all sorts of other questions. You know, we've been talking about would this kind of car be used for sporting events? CFL looking to open it up soon. The Premier said yesterday that we will hear more on reopening plans later this week. Where else will this card be applied? What about businesses? Will businesses, big ones like Madison Square Garden in New York, they're using at least the vaccination proof as a way to open up for concerts. What about smaller businesses? Will restaurants think about doing this? I mean, there's so many other spots this could go and, and, and oh, I'm, I, I, my mind is all over the place with how I feel about this because at the end of the day, having to show that proof, that QR code, that barcode, whatever you want to call it, takes us to a place that many might not be comfortable with, guys. I don't think there's any question about that. And uh, if you look at the state of Florida, they are, of course, a hub for cruise ships. And Norwegian Cruise Lines has said, hey, um, if you want to ride with us, you want to spend time on one of our ships, you have to be fully vaccinated. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, says, uh, not so quick. Uh, they have a rule coming in in Florida which does not allow businesses to operate this way. In fact, they could be subject to as much as a $5,000 per person. Per Can you imagine that on a cruise ship holding a couple thousand people or more? Uh, If they enforce this, Royal Caribbean originally said that they were going to go the way of fully vaccinated passengers only. They've relented. 
and backed off on that. And also in Houston, Brett, uh, Texas, uh, Houston Methodist Medical uh, Group, they have 26,000 employees. They have demanded all of their employees be double vaccinated. There's a group of just over 100 that say, "Uh, no way, no how. You can't make us do this. They've been suspended for two weeks. They are making a lot of noise saying that uh, should they lose their jobs over this, they will take this as far as they can in court. So this is just the beginning, I think, of the conversation about uh, vaccinations, passports, proof of vaccination, and uh, how much can be done, how much can be demanded. Yeah, I know that uh, some local businesses say that they would be happy to enforce this if that's what it takes to get their doors open. Um, And then yesterday... Premier Pallister, the the overall message that I seem to that I seem to take away from it was that look, if we get this is a hopefully just a temporary thing. If enough people get vaccinated, it's not really going to matter anyway. And uh, the question as well was, what about because we get texts all the time from people saying, look, I can't get a vaccine. I, I'm under doctor's orders. I have medical I have medical reasons that prevent me from getting a vaccine. What about me? And that was sort of just briefly touched on yesterday. Uh, and I, but again, it was the same kind of message like look uh if enough of us get this shot then we're not going to have to worry about this so hopefully that ends up being the case because i my fear is that this could has the potential to get really ugly really fast loren and and temporary is the key word like we keep hoping it's temporary but i think that's what we hoped last spring right and here we are in june Mm. 2021 15 16 months later still talking about it you heard in the news with Jeff Braun the possibility of a third wave. We're keeping our eye on these Delta variants, which have a whole other thing going on. And so it's not as though COVID is going away anytime soon. So it, inter, the introduction of a vaccine card won't start feeling very temporary when it's still in use 6, 8, 12 months from now, which I suspect, given where we're going, it it might be. So lots, lots more questions around this. And, and let us know what you're thinking. 780-6868. And our question of the day at CJOB.com. What do you think of the immunization card? It's brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. So far, 73% say good idea and 27% say bad idea. Cast your vote, CJOB.com. Or you can weigh in on our Instagram poll. We've put it up there as well at 680-CJOB. Right now we want to talk about clothing fails for a chance to win a Manitoba Turkey Producers Prize Pack, which we will give away just after 9.15, because I put on a t-shirt this morning that I haven't worn in a while. It's my WrestleMania X7 shirt, which I got in Houston like 20 years ago, and uh, it's been a few months since I've worn it, so of course it smells like a musty old cottage. Uh, but it was by the time I figured that out, it was already too late. I was on my basically on my way down to get the cab. And on Monday, I wore light gray shorts to the golf course, grabbed a power cart, drove it to my car, got up and looked down at the seat and realized there was like melted chocolate or something on the seat. Of course, like right where I sat down. So I took the cart back and grabbed another one, <laughs> made sure that this one was actually clean. But in the meantime, I had to golf. I spend the rest of the day looking like I'd, you know, um, lost control of my uh, of my bladder. So that wasn't uh, that was kind of embarrassing. So a clothing fail story, something where you just had to grin and bear it. 
204-780-6868 for your chance to win that prize pack. Jeff Braun not joining us for this segment, by the way. He says it's been thunderstormy in Charleswood this morning, and I guess he's having some problems potentially related to that. So we'll start with uh, Cam Poitras. Hello there, sir. Uh, well, this is uh, my entire life, uh, <laughs> Gary. Um, you're probably not like I, I, I. One of the funniest things ever from Curb Your Enthusiasm for me was was the go home stain because that's happened to me several times where you get a, a stain so bad that it's like I got to go home. I have to deal with this. I can't just walk around. It's a go home stain. Uh, you know, I, I talked a little while ago about I had a, a popcorn handprint of butter and uh, <laughs> my fiance has gone chalk trying to get rid of it. Thank you very much. By the way, she did a great job. She got the stain out, but she had to work very hard to get it out. You know, I've, I've, and that's, I'm trying to like update my image. My, my mom has told me my whole life I have no style. My, my style was, cons- was, was taught, uh, was, was described as frumpy, which I don't think you ever <laughs> want anything to be described as that. So, you know, stains, holes, like my, my days when I was living by myself, I just didn't care, whatever, who cares? I'm trying to update this, but I, I've too, too many countless incidents. I put on stinky shirts and, it's terrible. It's awful. I got to get out of there. I got to move on with my life. <laughs> oh, Cam, you're a gem. Greg <laughs> Mackling, what about you? I'm just picturing Cam picking up his uh, socks and his shirt and giving them the old have, sniff test. Yeah, I have that's rolls, good enough for today. I have sock rolls all over the house. Like I just well, rolled up my roll socks. Your socks. Well, yeah. Yeah. You just yeah, roll them up and toss them? It. Well, you just, oh, gotta, I just like, reach in the. Well, I try to get them down the stairs in the laundry room, and I like I, I try to like bounce it off like the walls of the uh, going down the stairs, and try to get it into the laundry room. <laughs> Mostly so successful. You... Mm, Mostly good. Good, for, good for you. Uh, I'm going back <laughs> to grade. I'm going back to grade ten here, and uh, I, I I was uh, always uh, into the high jump and. Uh, was on the, you know, would go to the city uh, track meets and that sort of thing in junior high. But then in high school, I was on the track team and got our first uniform. You got the the nice shirt, the muscle shirt with the team logo, maroons on the front, and then you got your shorts and you got your track shoes. We were practicing the high jump in the gym one day. And for whatever reason, I was under the impression that, first of all, the shoes that I was given we're good for indoors and outdoors. Yeah, no, spikes do not work on the wooden gym floor. Mm. So I walked out of the change room in my spikes and what turned out to be girls' shorts. And I was not <laughs> the only person in the gym. There was a very large audience. I had no idea that there was a difference between the pace setter, burgundy female shorts, and burgundy boys' shorts. So uh, that was a little bit embarrassing. Uh, I've yet to live it down 30-something years later. So, uh, yeah, mind uh, mind the shorts. Do people still make fun of you for that? Oh, I still, oh, there's, yes, yeah, several people who were in the gym that do not let me forget about that incident. <laughs> what about you, Loren? Well, I'm, uh, we'll just admit that I, that I'm a sweater. I sweat, uh, particularly when I was younger. And so I used to buy this, you know, you'd get stains. Stains can be embarrassing. And so I used to buy this product called Drysol that smelled like chemicals. And you would put it on to prevent, like at the night before or whatever, to prevent sweating. So I, there was a heat wave coming. I had just bought this new outfit. I was a new TV reporter. And so I just dosed myself with it the night before, like everywhere, like not just, you know, your armpits, like everywhere. Put on this new dress the next day and somehow it reacted with the material 
so that it didn't just create the sweat stains, all the spots of the body to which one would sweat then turned the blue dress orange. (laughs) So in all the spots. So now I'm just like, look over here. Oh, you didn't think I was sweating? Oh, yeah, I'm sweating. All right. Guess what else is happening here and here and here? And it was was just, but I'm at work. And so then I had to wear a coat all day long in this heat wave, which added just more sweat to the situation where I just was, people are like, take off your coat for the, you have to do a stand up, you're on camera piece, take your coat off. I'm like, I cannot take the coat off. And then of course you get home and you're a poor underpaid reporter and you try to do your part to save the dress. And so I tried dyeing it orange (laughs) 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 to see if I could create a matching scenario. Didn't work. So it was a full, you know, the go home, like you have to go home cam you mentioned. There was no option there. But ever since then, I have always had a change of clothes at work for two reasons. One, you never know where you're going to get sent, but you just never know how your body's going to react to things. It's an embarrassing story, but very true. So it was like your own hypercolor dress, basically. Yeah. It was I was ahead of the times or behind the times? I think I would have been behind the times and that's so a trendsetter. Here's what we need from you, 204-780-6868. Shoot us a story about a clothing fail for your chance to win the prize pack from Manitoba Turkey Producers. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, before we introduce our next guest, we are asking you to text us a story about a clothing fail, something that happened with your clothes and just had to grin and bear it, whether it was a stain or maybe you wore the wrong pair of clothes or forgot your your belt, I, whatever. Tell us a story. 204-780-6868, Manitoba Turkey Producers Prize Pack, which we will give away at 9.15. And Loren, you spotted a great one from Mike. Yeah, I love this one because I, well, I think many parents may have been there before, gone down this road before. Mike texted to say, I did not put on my daughter's diaper on correctly. And I was at work for 10 minutes when my wife called and said, get home now. So I did. And I had a lot of crap to clean up. It's a very (laughs) honest story. And I think many moms and dads can relate to that one. Keep your text coming at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win. Also, just a heads up, I see now the severe thunderstorm watch for southeastern Manitoba, including the city of Winnipeg, has ended. We have had numerous discussions over the past several months about camping and the Manitoba camping reservation system and the frustration that you might have with it. This morning, a story about a longtime provincial campground which has been privatized. We're talking about St. Ambrose Beach Provincial Park, which is on the southern shores of Lake Manitoba, about 85 kilometers northwest of Winnipeg, uh, which would be just off Highway 6. And that campground has been rebranded as Surfside Beach Campground, which has some basically crying foul. They're suggesting this could be the beginning of the privatization of provincial parks. Eric Rader is Director, Wilderness and Water Campaign for the Wilderness Committee here in Manitoba and is our guest this morning. Hi, Eric. Hey, good morning. Well, walk us through your concerns. What, what do you, what's your reaction? What don't you like about this move? Uh, well, yeah, this is definitely privatization of um, the campground in the St. Ambrose Provincial Park, which is basically just the beach and the campground. Um, and the kind of outrageous thing was that people who showed up to visit the provincial park and go walk on the beach because it's pretty popular for uh, birding and just family time uh, they were told they weren't allowed to get in 
with their provincial park pass permits, and they had to pay uh, an extra fee to this private operator to access our public provincial park. And that was the news that broke for us on Saturday evening. Yeah, we've reached out to the operator of that park, and uh, we're hoping that he'll join us later on in this half hour, Eric. The, the province of course, has been asked about this, and they say this is simply a, a way of revitalizing the, this campground, which was decimated by the Lake Manitoba flood of 2011. And they say this is also a campground which needed improved facilities because, in their words, the previous government failed to act. Does that not sound like a reasonable course of action to to get something that's been literally a mess for a decade cleaned up? Uh well, you know, there was a few more than just this campground that uh, had problems after the uh, after the flooding in 2010. Uh, one of the campgrounds that my uh, grandpa and my dad actually helped build on Watchorn Beach uh, out near Moosehorn had, had the same problems, any of the campgrounds that were close to the water. So we see this on a regular basis um, when we have flooding and extreme weather events. But the answer is that we need more parks and we need more protected areas and we need more public spaces. So, I mean, nature is the same as education, is the same as healthcare, in that these are things that we, you know, they don't look after themselves, these open public spaces that we need to go to. They, they're, they're a public thing and we have to fund them. And a huge majority of Manitobans, which you guys have probably seen from you know, social media and the discussions about this, they want more parks and they want more protected areas and they really want more campgrounds. So if this person wanted another campground, there's, you know, thousands of acres of uh, shorefront on Lake Manitoba that this person could have built another campground and then we'd have another one plus the provincial park one. But yeah, selling this off and getting rid of this really kind of valuable asset that Manitobans love, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a bad deal. It's, it's something that we should keep under our control. Now, this isn't the only example of a private campground inside a provincial park. There are similar operations at Overflowing River and Margaret Bruce Parks. So why can't this model work? Um, Well, again, there's all sorts of different uh, things that sort of the staff that work the campground, the conservation department do, right? They're not just campgrounds. These are supposed to be parks because we're working on protecting nature. So if there was an issue with wildlife uh, at the campground, you know, we had to close an area of the campground. Do you think a private operator would be like, yeah, that's fine. We're going to close this area and not make any money on it because uh, I'm really interested in nature? Or are they actually a corporation that they're probably required to turn a profit and they're not going to care for nature so much as they're going to ensure the viability of their business. I mean, just some things are like, should we, you know, should we cutting, be cutting corners on nature? Just like I said, healthcare and, and, uh, and education as well. Like do we cut corners on those so people can make a profit? And we probably, you know, this park has uh, endangered piping plovers using it. Federally protected species. We cut down, sorry, we shut down pieces of Grand Beach on a regular basis. Um, and that's, those are, those are things that we, kind of need to do to care for nature and that's that kind of the, that's a role of government really and this is getting rid of the government's role of kind of sabotaging our opportunities to you know to conserve to take care and conserve the nature in the province 
Eric, if it's about dollars and cents, which sometimes it sounds like it is in this case, right? We want to maintain the campground, but there's dollars required to do that. So a private company is willing to step in or, you know, take over. If it's about that, is there a compromise to be made that if we're going to go down this road and allow for the privatization of some services within campgrounds, then we need to have some caveats to that contract, like the protection of the, the, the Piper, which you mentioned, or others. Is there room for that in your mind? And we only have 30 seconds, Eric, sorry. You know, that's not... That's just not part of where we need to go because the sort of the privatization of nature spaces and the stuff that keeps us together, that's kind of where we've got to this biodiversity crisis, this problem with the amount of nature around us. So I'd say uh, that we need to you know, keep this all the public land and nature and wilderness that we have in Manitoba. We need to keep it in our hands and grow it. We need to grow our parks. Eric Rader, Director of Wilderness and Water Campaign for the Wilderness Committee, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Eric, thank you very much for this. Thank you. First time texter Debbie has sent not one, but two wonderful stories about clothing failures. We'll sneak one in here. She says, going on a first date to Tubby's on Stafford, which is now The Grove. I was wearing a wraparound dress that stays together by one firmly knotted tie. I should have used a double knot. During the drive there in the bucket seat of a VW Bug, the tie became lodged at the back of the seat where it started to loosen as I moved. It was a windy day, and as I walked from the car to the corner door, it continued to loosen unbeknownst to me. As we entered through the corner door, a final gust of wind finished the job. I entered the restaurant with the wind fully opening the dress, allowing me to make a spectacular entrance for a memorable first date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was it the first and last, or was it the first of many? That's what I'd like to know, Debbie. Let us know. She then goes on to say, I talk with my hands, which sometimes can be a problem, especially when a hand is supposed to be busy holding together the two ends of a halter dress as your mother measures for a button placement. This should be an easy job, but when your parents' friends are also over having coffee and are all engaged in a conversation, of which I had to add my two cents, I started sharing my ideas when my mom gave me a gentle reminder to hold tight. I ignored her advice, kept on sharing, which became much more animated, and I realized what I forgot to do Hold tight by the look of my mom on my dad's friend's face. Full exposure. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Sometimes those things just happen. The wind might get you. You might get distracted by certain things. I told that story once of I was delirious with lack of sleep post the birth of my second child and I had gone to the mall in the winter just to walk around, tried on some clothes at the bay and I was wearing a long sweater and left with my youngest pushing the stroller and no pants on. (laughs) A long sweater and my Sorrells. Keep your stories coming. covered. One of the things that keeps coming up, when, oh, when will it be over, Greg? If only we could tell you. If only it was like a scheduled event, but we know that it's not, and we're hoping we are currently coming down the other side of this third wave. There is some information and statistics to indicate that we might be just doing that, but already we know experts are warning about, get this, a fourth wave, Loren, and the impact variants will have long-term and the possibility of that fourth wave is uh, right in our face. 
Yeah, and one of the variants that many are keeping their eye on is the B1617 strain. So that's the variant that was first reported in India, sometimes called the Delta variant. We've seen a rise in cases here in Manitoba over the past few days with that one. And of course, we know that the data shows it's more transmissible as well as the fact that they may not have uh, the same reaction to this vaccine. The efficacy might not be as high. And so we're joined now by epidemiologist and founder of Epi Research, Cynthia Carr. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. It's a tough conversation to have because we're we're talking about vaccines, vaccine incentives, you know, looking for hope and the light at the end of the tunnel. And so when we bring up this Delta variant, what's your primary concern with how case counts are rising here in Manitoba and the impact that could have? Well, as you said, Loren, it, it's certainly uh, much more infectious and it does um, uh, have some impact on uh, vaccine, but mostly to keep in mind is people who have only had their first uh, shot. Uh, that for people who have had their second shot, uh, the vaccine is still doing quite well. Now, that's out of the United Kingdom that does very good work uh, in genomic sequencing, keeping on top of this Delta variant. Uh, so that's where they're seeing is the people that are most impacted are those not vaccinated. Uh, and then those with one dose uh, have some protection and those with two doses are much better protected. So just a reminder, uh, please don't skip your second shot. Dr. Rusin reminded us on Monday, Cynthia, that COVID-19 isn't going away just because we get through this pandemic. It's likely that COVID-19 and some variation of it is going to be a part of our lives for likely years to come. I agree. So that that means, you know, it's probably going to become endemic, which means circulating in the population like, you know, the flu season or the common cold. The pandemic will end. Uh, but absolutely, this virus uh, has shown tenacity uh, and a willingness to stay around. So we have to uh, develop, uh, you know, strategies to deal with it, whether we learn its annual vaccine, hopefully not. Uh, but we'll learn how long the vaccinations last. That's why, you know, we get vaccinations against other disease. It's not easy at all to eradicate a virus, uh, but you can control it. So with this Delta variant, you know, like, for example, I, I got a double dose of the AstraZeneca. Uh, mm-hmm. Am I, should I be concerned? Well, you know, research will tell. Again, there's been talk for quite a long time. Is, is there a second booster potentially required? Uh, and that may be the case. Uh, you know, the gift of being in a country like Canada, although there have been supply chain challenges, is that we do have access to vaccine. We can afford it. Uh, and it will become available if you do need a third dose, uh, which might be a little bit modified uh, to some of these uh, these variations, which, again, the flu season, that's why we have an annual shot is because that uh, vaccine has to be developed to address what the, the circulating uh, strains of the virus are. Is there data in other countries, Cynthia? You know, we're watching trends, right? And we say here in Canada, in some ways, we've had the advantage. And I don't want to use that word in a positive sense. But in in truth, we can see how it is spread in other countries and then potentially react accordingly. Is there a concern that there might be people delaying getting that second dose or not feeling as great a rush to do that as they had in the first? What what have we seen in other countries when it comes to this? Absolutely. So United Kingdom is an excellent example. They powered through their first uh, you know, uh, vaccination uh, stage 
they hit about you know 70 percent uh so there were pockets of people not vaccinated and then opened up the country and people kind of felt like okay let's not not bad i don't need to worry as much either about my first or second dose that's exactly who's being impacted by the delta cynthia i know you're an epidemiologist not a sociologist or a psychologist but how do we how do we keep making sure that people understand a the benefits of the vaccines and and b the the danger of letting our guard down and thinking "Ah, i got my first dose that should be good enough how do we how do we continue to tell that story successfully um you know the pfizer and moderna uh, vaccine are relatively expensive uh, the government would not be spending money and telling people to get a second dose of something they don't need. Uh, it, it's quite expensive, uh, but it's an investment uh, in our health, uh, and that's why we're doing it. I understand people are tired of it. My background, ironically, actually is psychology. Uh, I have a graduate degree in epi, but also a uh, background in psych. So I understand uh, how people are feeling and how we want to stop thinking about this, particularly if it doesn't seem an urgent risk anymore. Uh, but remember, we wouldn't be buying something that you don't need. Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist and founder of Epi Research, joining us live at 680 CJOB. Thank you so much, as always, Cynthia. You're very welcome. Hello, hello, good morning, good morning, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Happy Toy Industry Day today. I think this afternoon we're going to be talking favorite toys a little bit. I'm going to be on the air for about four minutes this afternoon. <laughs> um, oh, boy. So for four, for four minutes between all the news conferences today, we will be talking about your favorite toys. For me, I had three that came to mind this morning as I was thinking about this. I had a Lionel train set that I loved dearly. Uh, the only toy that my sister and I, my sister Penny and I, ever enjoyed together, because we're not crazy about each other, was Operation, which they've now brought back out again. But I think my favorite toy, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Greg Mackling, we're yes, similar in yes. age. Did you have a Rock'em Sock'em Robots? No, I didn't, but I always wanted one. The, yeah. My mom was a little bit of a pacifist, so she didn't oh, really boy. like the violent nature of the game. But uh, yeah. I played that game at every opportunity. Sorry, Mom. Mm-hmm. My dad was much different. I would play the game and then he would hit me. Uh, but anyhow, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My dad was a great man. That was a terrible joke. Hey, you talk about clothing fails. Clothing fails. Um, stiletto Crocs. Yes. No. Uh, they're there. Yes, yes, Loren. No, Crocs. You, if you had even said Crocs, I would have yelled no. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I get it. They are super comfy. But Stiletto keep them Crocs. in the backyard. Why? Mm-hmm. The whole I don't know. It's a it's a fashion house that's come out with these, and believe it or not, before they even hit stores, they were sold out. Oh, these uh, are hideous. Eight hundred and fifty dollars a pair. What? Yeah, I know. Are they, yeah, made, are they made of diamonds? I don't know. They're they're made. I can't even say the name of the fashion house. Uh, but they're sold out. They haven't even hit store shelves yet. Eight hundred and fifty bucks. They come in green and black. Ugh. Um, so I, I, there you go. Oh, it's uh, Balenciaga or whatever the heck they're called. Balenciaga. See, I can't say that. You're better than I am. They have I a really know. fancy purse too that nobody should ever pay mm. that kind of money for. No, this is wrong, Hal. 
Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. Hey, um, laundry. Uh, Loren, you've got kids. Greg, you've got the, the Twin Towers there. Uh, laundry, a big issue at your house, Loren, with, with little kids? Are you kidding? Like, everything that they touch just goes into the laundry basket. Like they, It's like every morning I go in there and I, I wonder if there was a fashion show that just occurred because they've pulled everything out okay. of the closet. And then they chuck it in the basket. And then, then I go to do the laundry and I'm like, I know no one even wore this this week. Why is this even in here? No, it's never ending. That's funny you would say yep. the fashions. Listen to this. Whirlpool has done a survey. The average home goes through 2,184 pounds of laundry every year. That is the weight of an adult black rhinoceros. <laughs> um, kids are a large, just in case you're, just in case you're wondering, that is, uh, kids, a large part of the reason, according to this survey, the average child goes through three outfits on a typical day. I couldn't believe that when I read that. Seven in ten parents feel they witness a daily fashion show. They quoted this in the survey as their child changes clothes so often. Parents with children's uh, children aged 3 to 18 say that their kids are so energetic and active that the average clean room only stays cu- clutter-free for 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. all sounds very accurate. Uh, I like the rhino comparison very much, Hal. But why is it then that it feels as though my kids are wearing the same clothes every single day? Didn't you wear that yesterday? Did you put, you know, the whole, did you wear deodorant conversation <laughs> is very popular in our house. Uh, just this morning. I went through four, count them, four baskets of folded clean laundry. It gets done. It gets dried. It gets folded. Putting it away, that's a whole other chore. It's like a separate chore is getting it to where it's supposed to go. I hate laundry. It never, Mm. ever ends. Ever. Never ends. Yeah. And uh, Brett, one final one here for you, and then I'll, I'll say goodbye and make sure you tune in for my I just got another release from the province. My show has been eliminated for the day. Um, but uh, I will be on the air uh, this afternoon for a little bit. Anyhow, in between news conferences, I thought you'd get a kick out of this, Brett. Uh, you were talking about Loki, the new show. Um, they are changing Lucky Charms to Loki Charms, a special limited edition run of the cereal. And instead of their magically delicious, that tagline has been changed to they're mischievously delicious. Now, you may have to order them online or get them through the States somehow. I'm not sure they'll be uh, here in Canada. But Loki Charms instead of Lucky Charms. And guys, have a great Wednesday. Hal Anderson Afternoons is on 1230 to 3. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, a decade ago, park on the southern shores of Lake Manitoba was a destination trip for many in this province. Yeah, but the flood of 2011 severely damaged St. Ambrose Provincial Park, and it was in desperate need of repairs. Instead of using government funds, public dollars, the province turned to the private sector. Yeah, and so basically what's been happening is following a bill that was introduced last year, private camp companies can take over some provincial park services. And so now that campground at St. Ambrose, which is on the southern shores of Lake Manitoba, about 85 kilometers north of Winnipeg, it's been rebranded as Surfside Beach Campground. And there are some 
who are taking issue with this. Some folks who think this is perhaps a slippery slope towards increased privatization of parks or other government services. And so just after seven, we spoke to Eric Rader, Director, Wilderness and Water Campaign for the Wilderness Committee here in Manitoba. That's just not part of where we need to go because the sort of the privatization of nature spaces and the stuff that keeps us together, that's kind of where we've got to this biodiversity crisis, this problem with the amount of nature around us. So I'd say uh, that we need to you know, keep this, all the public land and nature and wilderness that we have in Manitoba, we need to keep it in our hands and grow it. We need to grow our parks. Joining us now is Sarah Guimar, Manitoba's Minister of Conservation. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. How are you, Lauren? We're well. What's your reaction to that clip we just played in terms of the concern that this is more what they call privatization? Yeah, it's unfortunate that that, uh, it's being characterized in in this fashion because this is actually a longstanding practice that has gone on uh, with previous governments where they've partnered with third-party management for campsites um, the, the park remains public domain uh, and access through our provincial park passes. Uh, so there's no difference uh, between this agreement and previous agreements with, um, that happened under other governments. So I don't understand why um, this would be characterized differently. The word management came up in Eric's uh, discussion there, uh, Minister. And so I want to take that just a step further. His his concern is is with regard to wilderness conservation, preservation, uh, wildlife concerns. Will there still be the same commitment to that and those types of programs at St. Ambrose uh, at the provincial park site? Absolutely. So that was obviously an area that uh, we had uh, protections in place in our provincial parks. And uh, we will definitely uh, continue with those expectations of anybody who's running any facilities within our parks, that they would respect uh, the protections in place. Uh, And we do uh, periodically check in and make sure and monitor that the activities are not disrupting the local wildlife uh, and we give instructions to um, anybody who's running any facilities or services within our parks uh, if they need to change the practices. How is this not privatization? Because the, the third-party manager uh, does not own the land. It's a 21-year lease, and the access to the uh, public lands is still uh, available with a uh, um, uh, provincial park pass. So it's, it's about the access. It's about, um, you know, having that uh, as a public beach area, day use area for anyone who has a provincial park path. And, and essentially the services are the ones that are run by a third party manager. Um, so that aspect, again, uh, happens in many other provincial parks. And I, I think that the the uh, narrative that's lost here is that this is a Métis business owner who lives in the community who has been advocating for improvements to this park for many, many years, and it's fallen on deaf ears. And we came along and realized that this is a good partnership, and it was a a competitive RFP process. It was opened up, and we connected with all the communities uh, who might be interested in in partnering and just to see what uh, the appetite is for running this. And he happened to win the bid, and he's actually making some very good improvements to the area, not only for the local economy, but offering services now for any day users as well that, that would not have been provided under our government for many years to come.
You know, and I, and I I hear what you're saying there, that there's someone who has been willing to step in, but they've been willing to step in because it can be a business and people don't like the idea of our parks necessarily being turned into a business. And so is this a model that we might see more of in the future with the leases going to private companies to take over land that, you know, the government maybe can't or is can't afford to or won't clean up? Well, I, I think that the, the clarification here is that in all of our provincial parks, we have commercial business owners who are running services. So um, this is not a new entity. It's not a new process. Um, this is an ongoing process where we partner and, and previous governments partner with commercial business owners to offer services that uh, just are not available through government um, uh, you know, plans or projects. Um, so I would not characterize this as something new. Um, obviously, when we're doing our overall park strategy, we're going to be looking at how we can keep our park sustainable. Um, and part of that is, is making sure that there are funds there so that we can keep the environment clean as well. We've invested millions of dollars in our wastewater lagoons in various provincial parks to make sure that we're not, you know, um, adding to the environmental costs of, 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 um, you know, the damage. So there's a lot that we're considering right now. Um, but overall, we have to look at the whole strategy and make sure that the, the services provided to our visitors, uh, both in Manitoba and from abroad, um, are there to attract um, visitors to enjoy our beautiful uh, nature, as well as to, to be sustainable and be able to uh, protect nature as well. Sarah Guimard is Manitoba's Minister of Conservation, joining us live at 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for this. Thank you very much. Ackling McGarry and McNabb, we've been asking you to tell us a story about a clothing failure on your part at 204-780-6868. We've got a great Manitoba Turkey Producers prize pack. We've got a couple of runners up here and the winner, Loren, why don't you start us off with uh, Shauna's story? All right, Shauna texted, our son, who was at 16 at the time, was a hockey player. He was in the dressing room before practice one day, getting dressed with all the guys when one of his buddies noticed that something was hanging from his shoulder pads. He pulled it off and it was a pair of black panties. As his mother, I washed his equipment, and I guess a pair of my panties got stuck on the Velcro. It took a long time for him to live that one down. Yeah, what do you... I don't even know what the what you get to say there. You could... I guess you could lie and throw a wink out, but um, and tell another story, I mean. You know, fake a story, mm-hmm. but at the end mm-hmm. of the day, man, everyone knows it's your mom's underwear. <laughs> I'd be interested to know if uh, Shauna's son uh, still has that uh, thrown in his face uh, from time to time from those <laughs> former teammates. Uh, Carol uh, said uh, good morning to us and, and said, thankfully, we outgrow elementary school disasters. Isn't that the truth, Carol? It was the dead of winter, and I'd walk to school every day in my ski pants and park on. Oh, I complained to my mother how I felt like the Michelin man. <laughs> How the other kids weren't so overdressed. I arrived at school and we all got to the back of the classroom by the jacket rack and peeled off the parkas, the mitts, the scarves, and the ski pants, only to realize I was not wearing ski pants. <laughs> we <laughs> laugh looking back, but at the time, pretty embarrassing 
for a half naked 10 year old just pull down the pants the muscle memory hey (laughs) Uh, (laughs) oh wait i'm not wearing ski pants i just pulled down my regular pants johnny for the win johnny says true story the wife and i and a buddy and his wife and family took the boats out for a day of fishing my buddy hooked onto a monster walleye when he went to get the green back in the boat with the net. He suffered a hilarious belt failure and his shorts hit the deck. Poor guy didn't know whether to drop the fish or pull up his shorts. So we all laughed until we cried in the middle of the lake. The fish was spectacular, but the serpent, not so much. Oh, no. <laughs> no, whoa. I wish I had put a slide whistle there for that one at the end. The dilemma. What do you do? Mm. You're like, ah, oh my you god! You gotta get the fish, man. You gotta get the fish. You know you it, gotta land the fish. Is he saying it was full? Was there commando happening there, or just everything came down? Yeah, it, I guess it's. It, I guess it all came down. <laughs> Someone could have helped him out and grabbed his pants, but. I, probably, I ain't going no, near that. that wouldn't be nearly as funny. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> and then the fish stories wouldn't be as good either. <laughs> it was this big. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. We continue our quest for answers and clarifications with regard to a popular provincial park, which has recently had operation of its campground moved to a private operator. Yeah, once again, St. Ambrose Beach Provincial Park is located on the shores of Lake Manitoba, roughly 85 kilometers northwest of Winnipeg, just off Highway 6. And the camp, campground rather, has been rebranded as Surfside Beach Campground. Sterling Ducharme is the new operator of that resort. Good morning, Sterling. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate you taking the time with us. We had the Minister of Conservation, Sarah Guimar, join us this morning to discuss this move and the overall potential for more. Some call them partnerships. Some simply call it privatization of public amenities. We want to kind of move past that. Tell us about the park and campground uh, at St. Ambrose and, and what the facilities looked like before you took them over. Well, uh, this whole story started in 2011 with the flood there, uh, you know, destroyed the whole park, basically. And uh, uh, it's, we were, we've been waiting uh, patiently for it to get rebuilt, but it never did happen. So the uh, it was basically a start from scratch operation. And uh, we got it to a point now where we have uh, 25 seasonal lots ready for that are based. They're full already, actually. And uh, we... We have weekend camping available, approximately 25 sites. So there's the camping at your site there. And then, of course, there's just the, the beach that draws so many people. And one of the things we want to clear up, Sterling, is is what people might have to pay or not pay when they come there. And we had several listeners, like Laura Lee, text to say, this is what she said, why is it that local people or day trippers have to pay $10 to enter St. Ambrose to swim in the lake that they've been swimming in for free for years? And then she says they were also told to buy the private park pass for parking plus the provincial park pass. So clear this up for us. If you want, if you're not staying at your campground, but you want to access the beach at the provincial park, what is one paying or required to do? Well, there is a fee for day pass. Uh, you know, it's, if it's a one-time thing, uh, I don't think we're out of line uh, compared to any other park. But uh, there is a reduced fee for local people, of course, Um but yeah, there there is a fee for 
for local day use, uh, you know, they have access to our amenities as well, too. So, Even if they have the provincial pass, Darlene? Like, so if oh, I have I'm a provincial... Sorry. No, and let me clear that up. We are okay. accepting provincial passes, park passes. Uh, I had a misinterpretation. And there was a misinterpretation on my part on how to uh, administer this here, but uh, it's been clarified. And we are accepting provincial park passes for day use passes. So... If I have a provincial park pass, I can come in and use the beach as I normally would. If I don't, what's the fee then? It's ten dollars. Okay. Yeah. Now, Sterling, so you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Park, your provincial park pass is valid. Okay. Okay. Good. So you have a lengthy lease at the site. What are your future plans for the uh, the RV park? Well, we can. We're going to continue on uh, building the. Uh, seasonal sites. We should end up with around 130 sites when we're all done. They'll be fully serviced with Wi-Fi. And, um, we are currently working on a live entertainment venue, but uh, with COVID restrictions and all that, we're, we're kind of uh, taking small steps towards that right now. And there, there's going to be a concession stand right on, on site, uh, a small sea store. And uh, Lots of hiking and bird watching as well. So, Sterling, uh, one of the concerns is that relationship between the RV park and a private operator, and the and a commitment to making sure that what is a a wildlife uh, sort of haven there uh, remains. So, what's your commitment, and what arrangements have you made, and promises have you made to to make sure that it, it remains a place for bird watching and that sort of thing? We're basically following the footprint of the former park. Uh, we're not doing anything different. Every trail we have is, was an existing trail at one point. So we're, we're not breaking new ground and tearing up big trees or nothing. It's, uh, it's all natural. Uh, just everything that was there before, we're trying to restore it. Are, are you surprised, Sterling? Like, I can appreciate there are people who have concerns for, you know, the the environmental for the conservation impact and there are people who are worried that there might be a slippery slope here in terms of you know leasing more land to private owners on the flip side was anything happening to improve this ground until the rfp went out and you applied to be the one to take it over well they uh did open the day use beach area approximately five years ago it was just a small area that that's where it sat and there was nothing going on with the campground and uh I own the store there in, in St. Ambrose, and uh, the, the business was really suffering without tourism there. And there was people showing up with campers, uh, people that didn't know the park was closed. So, uh, yeah, it's what's very been sterling that, that part. Uh, very glad the RFP came out because uh, it was at the brink of, uh, you know, it was very uh, very slow for business there. So it's a good thing. Sterling, tourism is such a big deal right across the province, but in the interlake there, for those that haven't traveled Highway 6 and all the different uh, places that that are available, basically all the way from St. Ambrose, all the way up to Steep Rock and the Narrows, and then there's uh, all sorts of uh, places that were decimated in 2011 that were normally burgeoning with uh, cottagers. Is that area slowly regrouping and and is there a, a bright future for tourism in this part of the province yeah from what i can see uh there is a 
very bright future. What I just from the response we've gotten, uh, it, it looks really, really good. Before we let you go, Sterling, I'm curious. You know, there are some people going to think that if if there's private war private companies running campgrounds in this province and and taking over with leases that they won't have the same checks and balances uh, that the provincial parks have. So before you do anything to the campground, are you required to go to the province to make sure it conforms with their rules for other parks, or do you have a bit more leeway? How does that work? No, uh, they had a very well-written set of guidelines for me to follow, and it's all the same as any other provincial park as far as uh, permits for brush removal or road construction or building permits. uh, it's very well laid out, and uh, I think as long as uh, one follows those rules, it should, it should work out quite well. And just before we let you go, Sterling, uh, what's been the response so far to people who have uh, gotten their eyes on Surfside Beach Campground? Everybody's very happy. There's lots of there's generations of people that go back. Uh, I think the park was established in 1961, so there's a lot of people coming back there, and they're glad to see that there's something going on again, and... Uh, it's uh, it's nice to see. All right. How Ster- can people reach out? How can people uh, see what you're up to, Sterling, before we let you run? We have a website called Surfside Beach, uh, St. Andrews Provincial Park. And they can just go on our website and find out uh, all they need there. Sterling Ducharme, the new operator of Surfside Beach Campground in St. Ambrose Beach Provincial Park. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it, sir. Thanks for having us. It is 944 on 680 CJOB. And once again, the campground rebranded as Surfside Beach Campground. Jeff Courier is going to join us right after we check your forecast. And you know what? Before that, we said it was <laughs> drizzling here, uh, raining, pouring in North Kildonan. Loren, what about you? Can you hear if it's raining out there? No, it's not raining. It's kind of just spitting right now. But I should send you a picture of the backyard. It came down heavy and hard. At some point that I didn't notice because um, Moose has a little pond now to swim in. <laughs> oh, good. Which, of course, I love because then he comes in all nice, wet, and muddy, right? Who oh, wouldn't like yeah. that? Yeah, that's the best, especially if you have carpet in your home. Yeah, <laughs> wet dogs. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.